Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, the Republicans finally get their health care bill, but their legislative victory could come at a serious political cost. And to win France's election on Sunday, Marine Le Pen must show she has rejected the man who founded her party. The problem is, it's her father. It's Friday, May 5th. Shortly after Thursday's vote to repeal the Affordable Care Act, I called the Capitol building. Senate Press. Hey, I'm trying to reach Jennifer Steinhauer. Okay, hold on one second. She's waiting for you. Hello? Jennifer. Michael, we meet in the phone booth again. Always. And it's a big day in the phone booth. It is. Let's start with the most basic of facts. What happened on Thursday afternoon in the House of Representatives? On Thursday afternoon in the House of Representatives, the House Republicans finally did what they've been saying they've been wanting to do since 2009, which is repeal the Affordable Care Act. We can put this collapsing law behind us. End this failed experiment. Make moves to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Let's put the patient, not the bureaucrats, at the center of the system. This bill does all of those things. After weeks of trying and worrying and failing to even gather enough votes to bring a bill to the floor, House Republicans finally got it together. The ayes are 217, the nays are 213. The bill is passed, and without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. Four votes, wow. You would call that barely passing. 20 Republicans did defect from the bill, which was still a victory, obviously, for Paul Ryan, because he wasn't able to get even that number until really this week when backroom deals were done between members and the White House to put provisions in the bill that they thought gave them enough political cover to go ahead and pass it. Okay, so give us the scene on the floor of the House. Well, it was pretty interesting. A lot of us have been waiting seven years to cast this vote. Paul Ryan took a giddy turn on the floor Thursday, looking at times both nervous and apprehensive and terribly excited about fulfilling a promise that people, frankly, within his own party were skeptical he could deliver on. This bill delivers on the promises that we have made to the American people. So he went to the floor after the debate on the bill, but I would say a somewhat raucous debate with Republicans toward the end. Are we going to keep the promises that we made? Or are we going to falter? No. Nancy Pelosi closed out for Democrats and excoriated the measure. Why are you doing this? 
Do you believe in what is in this bill? Talked about how this was going to be a tattoo on their heads or something along those lines. But you have every provision of this bill tattooed on your forehead. You will glow in the dark on this one. You will glow in the dark. You will glow in the dark. Then they moved on to the measure to repeal the bill. Um, Once they had crossed 216, which was the amount that they needed, Democrats started uh, heckling Republicans, singing na, 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 hey, hey, goodbye, and waving at them. We infer from that, meaning that they think they'll uh, lose seats over this vote. Well, now I have to say to my friends on the other side, you sold out cheap, as we say in New Jersey. You sold out. It's a shame. You were on the wrong path. And it took you seven years for this? Republicans, in turn, were cheering. Then they had one last quick vote to do before they left the chamber. A lot of them ran to the uh, restroom, changing clothes, uh, getting into their recess gear. Um, <laughs> the others all piled into a bus and went right over to the White House, where President Trump and Vice President Pence met them in the Rose Garden. Thank you very much. This really is the group. What a great group of people. And they're not even doing it for the party. They're doing it for this country. A highly unusual scene for hmm. a measure that has only passed one chamber of Congress. Right. And while the president and members of the House of Representatives were crowing about their bill. We're going to get this passed through the Senate. I feel so confident. Press releases were rolling in from Republican senators criticizing it. So it was a pretty interesting moment. Wow. By the way, that hey, hey, goodbye, na na thing, like, that just totally makes me think of like a high school basketball game and then loading onto a bus and going to celebrate. Like, that does not seem like Congress. I was thinking hockey, but I'm from Michigan. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it was a pretty partisan moment and, and a bit of full circle, I guess, if you think back right. to when Democrats passed the Affordable Care Act with only Democrats. It was a very different process, but it was a full circle moment, I'm sure, for a lot of those Republicans who were there at that time, including Mr. Ryan. So it feels to me, Jennifer, that the most important question right now is, will this bill that just passed in the House, in its current form, pass in the Senate and become American law? Um, I think the short answer to that is no. Why? We've already heard from a lot of senators before this bill. With us from Capitol Hill, we've got Chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Bob Corker of Tennessee. Who are expressing concerns about it. Is there any chance for an up or down vote in the Senate on the bill as written to get it quickly passed and move quickly past the issue for Republicans? No. Zero. I love talking. That's not the way it's going to work. Um, if not overtly criticizing, subtly doing so of this measure. Well, you know, it's interesting. We turned the volume off on health care uh, after the last uh, failure. And, and okay, well, from what I can gather, it's going to be very tough to get it through the Senate. Senator Lindsey Graham tweeting, quote, A bill finalized yesterday has not been scored, amendments not allowed, and three hours final debate should be viewed with caution. For that reason, I think it makes the most sense to talk about what the passage of this bill in the House means, not so much for the American healthcare system, but for the American political system. And so far, every group involved in this is telling itself a kind of story. And I want to talk about what those stories are and then what the realities actually are. So let's start with the Democrats. As the Republicans were voting to pass this bill in the House on Thursday, what were the Democrats saying? Well, the Democrats in the Senate were saying, hey, Republican senators, don't do what your Republican colleagues are doing over in the House because that's not good. But privately saying, yeah, go ahead and try. Because first Hmm. of all, 
We're going to use this politically against Republican House members. There's already some pretty brutal ads online. Ads all ads already? Already. So there's going to be some pretty brutal politics around this. I mean, Democrats, you know, never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity, right? <laughs> They're already sitting around talking about what a horrible process this was because there wasn't a congressional budget office score on the bill. I don't think CBO scores really resonate that much with the voters, but potentially taking away... Medicaid insurance for people who have it, threatening those with pre-existing conditions who were able to receive insurance under the current Affordable Care Act. Those kind of messages can resonate. So Democrats are already looking at this as a political weapon with which to beat upon the heads of Republicans in the midterm elections in 2016. So let's turn to the Republicans. What are they saying about what this means for them? Okay, so Republicans' main narrative on this on Thursday was, hey, Look what's happening all over the country. These exchanges are a mess. The goal was, as someone said to me, get it out of there like a kidney stone. They wanted hmm. to pass a bill That's in the vivid. House. They wanted to prove they could get the bill out of the House. And now it's really Mitch McConnell's problem. All right. I want to turn to the president, his ability to work with Congress. What does this do for that? When President Trump has the opportunity to work only with Republicans, and he can communicate his goals, and he can get on the same page with them, That works better for him. So far, that's been a bumpy road. He struggled to get over the line with the health care bill in the House. He has a long road in the Senate. He's a long way from what most people use as their Rose Garden celebration. When he has a chance to work with both sides of the aisle, it seems to be favoring Democrats so far. So there's a third thing here, which is Republicans and Democrats working together on Capitol Hill to ignore him. Right. Case in point was the wall, right? He wanted this border wall in a short-term spending bill, and Republicans and Democrats both said, yeah, no thanks, we're not doing that. And that is a third way that could perhaps be most probable going forward. Right. I mean, I don't understand whether Republicans in Congress genuinely want to work with President Trump or not, because the lesson of the budget— was that they didn't. They wanted to box him out of it. They wanted to box him out of a short-term spending bill because they wanted to get through the fiscal year with their priorities intact and not have big political fights. And that's, again, when they needed Democrats. It's just going to depend on the issue. Look, (laughs) congressional Republicans have taken their view of Donald Trump. In the beginning, it hasn't really changed, which is that he's chaotic, that they don't know what the White House necessarily wants, Mm -hmm. that they don't share a lot of his policy views. But when they do align with him, they're going to use him as their ally and their weapon on things like repealing the health care law. When he doesn't agree with them and they can find common ground with Democrats, they probably will work to obviate him and be successful. The question is going to be when they don't want to work with him on something and Democrats don't want to work with him either, then things could get pretty messy. All right. My last question to you, Jennifer, because I do want to try to make some sense of this. What does this vote in the House mean for Americans who rely on the Affordable Care Act for health insurance? Does it mean anything at this point? Right now, it means absolutely nothing, because right now, the Affordable Care Act is the law of the land, and it's going to be up to the Senate now to decide how much they're going to go along with the changes that the Republicans in the House have passed. It's going to be a long road. (laughs) And we will ride it with you. We will drive it with you. We will come with a better metaphor. Just bring snacks. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Cheers. Bye. Michael. We'll be right back. Wells Fargo is proud to be by the side of women and diverse small business owners leading the way to recovery. Their drive to pivot their business is showing others the way. Wells Fargo is donating roughly $420 million in grants through the Open for Business Fund, 
that provides support to nonprofit organizations that support small businesses impacted by COVID-19. Find out more at wellsfargo.com slash together. Sunday's presidential election in France is pitting the far-right Marine Le Pen against the moderate Emmanuel Macron. To win, Le Pen has to strike a tricky balance, keep loyal supporters of her party, the National Front, but reject the party's tainted past. The National Front uh, comes out of a very old tradition of far-right politics in France that goes back before the Second World War. My colleague Adam Nossiter is covering the election from Paris. Now, during the war, of course, France had a far-right-wing governing authority. The government was quasi-fascist. And in fact, some of the National Front's founding members were members of that collaborationist far-right regime that ruled France during the war. Adam, can I just interrupt you? You said, you said the word collaborationist. Do you mean collaborating with Germany? With the Nazis. Uh, during World War II. Which occupied France. Which occupied France, exactly. So France had a government that was installed in the provinces in the town of Vichy that collaborated actively with the Nazi conquerors. And some of the National Front's founding members began their uh, political careers working for that regime. Uh, the Front was founded in 1972. It had a very charismatic founder who had been a paratrooper during the Algerian War. That man was Jean-Marie Le Pen, and he was the one who led the party for almost all of its history. He began his political career as a far-right member of parliament in the late 1950s, yelling anti-Semitic insults at the then Jewish prime minister. <laughs> and then he went on to work in various far-right si political campaigns. Dans une France libre et fraternelle, alors votez Jean-Marie Le Pen, votez Salut Bureau. Uh, since its founding, the National Front has mostly been a party on the fringes. Quelles que soient vos préférences pour un loisir comme la chasse ou une nuance politique, le seul vote utile, c'est le vote Le Pen. Merci. But it definitely represented a certain strain in the French population, a very uh, anti-immigration, anti-Semitic, xenophobic, not really accepting parliamentary democracy. In short, you know, not something most French people were, were very keen on, but absolutely uh, representative of, of an old, old strain in French politics. It grew and it grew slowly, and then shocked all of France in 2002 when Jean-Marie Le Pen ran for president and came out narrowly ahead of the mainstream socialist candidate mm. in the runoff, just as his daughter has now done. She has made it to the second round of voting in the presidential election, and she'll run on Sunday. It's kind of a remarkable set of parallels. But is his daughter, Marine Le Pen, carrying the same message today as her father did back then? Well, yes and no. The foundation of the front's policy has always been anti-immigrant uh, and anti-Islam. 
Elle se révèle, dit-il, l'immigration, une chance d'un point de vue économique, culturel et social. Her doctrine, such as it is, is heavy on xenophobia. She pretends that France is under the sway of, of radical Islam and that French way of life is threatened, all of which is highly questionable. Aussi, une consultation des Français sur l'immigration massive. Immigration massive. Stop ou encore. Stop. So these were themes that were present in Jean-Marie Le Pen's discourse as well. What's absent from Marine Le Pen's approach is the not-so-veiled, not-so-subtle anti-Semitism, uh, nostalgia even for uh, France's collaborationist past. They're absent, deliberately absent from Marine Le Pen's speeches and her thinking. But Adam, is it still the same party? as it was before. And, and what is the role in that party of Marine Le Pen's father? Well, Marine Le Pen committed the ultimate act of attempting to show that she had cleansed herself of the party's dubious past by kicking her own father out of the party. Wow. She got sick and tired of the anti-Semitic remarks that uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen amused himself by delivering every so often in the media. So she kicked him out two years ago. So you ask, to what extent is it the same old mm -hmm. party? I mean, if you go to a National Front rally, um, many of the people you will encounter there will tell you that they first signed up when Jean-Marie Le Pen was the president. Interesting. Uh, which tells you that, you know, they, they were, that, that their beliefs correspond with his uh, and that they, they see no real break uh, with Marine, despite her efforts, as she puts it, to, to undemonize the party. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's also true that she's attracted in the last round of voting uh, about two million more voters than her father ever got, uh, which is a lot. So that's she's got new people coming into the party. She's got new supporters. And that's because she has jettisoned a lot of the things that French people found most objectionable about the National Front. Mm -hmm. I don't think that she personally is an anti-Semite the way her father certainly is. I don't think that that is important to her. I don't think it means anything to her. I think she thinks it's useless, uh, not helpful, and she doesn't want to have anything to do with it. But she has a high tolerance level for people in her entourage who um, don't feel that way. And so it's very difficult to separate uh, the tactical from the sincere with her. And I think most French people don't even try, really. Adam, these two million new voters who came out for Le Pen but not her father, how are they different from the older National Front voters? Are they, in fact, not as old? Are they, are they younger? Well, there are some younger National Front voters, that's true. I'm uh, 19, and I'm a student uh, in theater at the University of uh, Angers. Can I ask you to just pronounce your name for me so I can master it and say it correctly? Okay. Aurore Lahondes. Aurore Lahondes. Yeah. Marine Le Pen talks to the forgotten France. What is it about Marine Le Pen that appeals to you and makes you want to vote for her on Sunday? I think it's because I'm patriot. I feel French. I don't feel European. The France that blames the European Union, 
for joblessness and economic stagnation. You know, when something wants a job, mm-hmm. we can't give to a French citizen. We have the obligation to, to accept everyone, but France can't accept everyone anymore. France stuck in permanent 10% unemployment. Mm-hmm. The fact that rural and, and provincial communities are stagnant while Paris and Strasbourg and Marseille are booming. She speaks to a certain extent to that. How worried are you about what France will look like if Le Pen is not elected on Sunday? How anxious are you about France's future? Uh, I'm afraid that uh, in five years, at the end of the mandate of uh, Emmanuel Macron, I will uh, wear uh, a niqab. I will have the obligation to wear that. What makes you think that you might someday have to wear, as as a woman, I think that's what you just said, you worry that you might have to wear the hijab? Yeah, uh, because Emmanuel Macron doesn't have a program to fight against terrorism. So if we don't fight, we will have a, a big problem, I think. Adam, what do these younger voters who have come out in support of Marine Le Pen think about the parties, really complicated, and in some cases you know, dark history. Do they even know about it? Yeah, well, the short answer to that is they don't think about it at all. They're not really aware of it. To the extent that they are, they don't care about it. They don't think it's relevant. They see Marine mm-hmm. Le Pen, this twice-divorced mother of three with a smoker's growl, as a modern woman who's totally modernized the party, speaking to their preoccupations. Um, so they don't they don't think about the old man at all. To the extent that they do, he's kind of a figure of fun and a laughable figure. That's not true at all of his middle-aged supporters, however. Adam, how much has Le Pen's opponent made this race about her and her father and the party's past? Or is that not at all what he talks about? Well, yes, that's a good question, because lately, in the last two or three days, Emmanuel Macron has shifted specifically to that subject. And he's been taking great pains to remind French voters of exactly where the National Front is coming from, uh, what it has represented for most of its history. He's telling voters, don't be fooled by Marine Le Pen's effort to undemonize the party. Remember what they've represented all these years. In the final televised debate before France's election, Marine Le Pen delivered a particularly ferocious performance, repeatedly mocking her rival, Emmanuel Macron, and using epithets to describe him. Analysts told The Times that Le Pen may have pushed herself further to the right in the minds of voters. Her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, was also critical. He said his daughter, quote, wasn't up to it during the debate. Here's what else you need to know today. Tolerance is the cornerstone of peace. And that is why I am proud to make a major and historic announcement this morning and to share with you that my first foreign trip as President of the United States will be to Saudi Arabia, then Israel, and then to a place that my cardinals love very much, Rome. President Trump will take his first trip overseas later this month. His three destinations are the centers of the three major monotheistic religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Advisors say the tour will seek to unify the countries against a common enemy, radical Islamic terrorism. 
In Saudi Arabia, Trump plans to meet with leaders from across the Islamic world. It's seen as an effort to improve his image after trying to ban travel to the U.S. from majority Muslim countries. And after more than three months away, Donald Trump came home to New York on Thursday evening for the first time since taking office. The trip was a short one, cut even shorter by the celebrations in the Rose Garden over the passage of the Republican health care bill. The Daily is produced by Andy Mills, Lindsay Garrison, and Rachel Quester. Our senior producer is Theo Balcom. Lisa Tobin is the executive producer of New York Times Audio. Our theme music is by Jim Brunberg and Ben Landsberg of Wonderly. Special thanks to Peter Sale, Samantha Hennig, Pedro Rosado, Michaela Bouchard, and Paulko Caraz. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you on Monday. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com slash daily, netsuite.com slash daily.